welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And if you are listening to this episode before the 3rd of June 2022, there is still time to vote for me in the Mental Health Blog Awards. I've been nominated in the Best Podcaster category. All you got to do is pause this episode, scroll down, and there's a link to the voting form. It takes seconds just to skip through to the podcaster section, click for me, submit it, no need to register, nothing else. That's all you need to do. And if you're one of those people who's been listening to me say this every single week and saying, yeah, I've definitely got to do that. I'll do it tonight. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll definitely, definitely, definitely going to do it. And you haven't. Now's your chance because there's only a few days left. So pause this episode right now. Go and vote. It'd be very much appreciated. Anyway, enough of all that nonsense. This is episode 78. And my guest today is John Salmon. John is a mental health advocate and campaigner and the co-founder of Buy Entertainment. And John has worked on some of the biggest and most well-known mental health campaigns over the last few years. He's worked on Time to Change. He's worked on the Heads Together campaign alongside the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and Prince Harry. He's a founding member and director of the Speakers Collective. He's a trustee at Let's Talk About Loss. And the list of things that he's been involved with just goes on and on and on. And we talk about a lot of those things today. John just has this driving passion for mental health and talking about it and campaigning for it and trying to make the world a kinder place. And this all stems from the loss of his father to suicide when he was a young boy. And later on, he'd have his own experience with depression and stress that ultimately led to him being sectioned and spending some time in hospital. And because of all the stigma around being poorly, he kept all that to himself for nearly 20 years. And it was actually when a close friend of his died by suicide as a result of postnatal depression, that John was inspired to start speaking up. And as soon as he started, he just hasn't stopped ever since. And he's kind of, he's one of the most well-respected and well-known advocates in the game. And it was just lovely to talk to him. He's a lovely, lovely man. And I was over the moon when he said he was up for coming on. We talk about his journey into campaigning. We talk about some of these campaigns that he's worked on. We talk about awareness and stigma and suicide. We talk about dealing with grief. We talk about opening up and learning to talk about this stuff. And John just has a just a really lovely way of of looking at this stuff and coming at it from other people's perspectives. And yeah, it was a real pleasure to chat to him. You can give him a follow on social media at John Salmon on Twitter and on Instagram. It's at John Salmon, but the O in John is a zero. There's loads more about all the different things he's up to on his website, which is www.john-salmon.com. And there's links to all those things in the episode notes. 
We also chat about him and his other friend, John, and the runs that they do to raise money for mental health charities. And they're planning to do the New York Marathon later this year. They're fundraising for that at the moment. So there's loads of stuff about that on his website. Go and check him out and support if that's the thing you want to do. If you want to catch up with me, as ever, at Proper Mental Podcast on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch, head to the website, propermentalpodcast.com and just send me an email through the contact page. Don't forget to vote for me in the Mental Health Blog Awards. And if you had a couple of minutes to review this episode or any other episodes that you listen to, it would be very much appreciated. Anyway, let's get into it. This is episode 78 of the Proper Mental Podcast with John Salmon. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. I'm all yours, I think. Oh, there you go. Look at that. As on cue, we've got a little visitor. Hello, mate. What are you up to? I just want to ask you a question. Go on. Um, when are you going? <laughs> in, about, <laughs> in about an hour, mate. In about an hour. And you'll play with Aggie for an hour, and then Daddy come and see you. Nice to see you. <laughs> Thank you, mate. You can't hear me. <laughs> shut that door. <laughs> Reese. you shut the door for me, mate. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Why? Why? <laughs> Sorry about that, mate. It's no, a, don't worry. <laughs> it's a, a common reoccurrence on uh, my podcast. Is <laughs> one one of them showing up? Yeah. Who, who's going to Who's going to appear? Do mm. you need anything from me, John? Before we dive in? No, no, that's it. No, we'll all just, all good. Yeah, we'll my just phone is on silent. Yeah, let's just yeah, r- rock and roll. Oh, fantastic. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Mr. John Salmon. How are you, mate? Hey, it's great. Yeah, great great to finally be uh, catching up and talking to you. So I'm really looking forward to um, yeah, our chat today. Oh, mate. Yeah, same. Me too. Yeah, thank you so much for, for joining me. It does feel a bit... Um does feel a bit overdue, John. I think we should have we should have got to this sooner. So it's it's great that it can finally happen. No, great, great. Yeah, no, it's um, no, yeah. Let's see see how it goes. But um, yeah, just like just listening and seeing the growth of your podcast um, over the last few months um, and longer, I guess. Um, yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's an honour to be here. Oh, mate. Well, thank you, thank you very much, thank you very much. How long have you been in this um in the mental health game for, John? You've been at this quite a while now, right? um five years so um yeah no it's um i guess we can pick up on that as well so yeah it feels quite interesting quite reflective to have hit a five-year mark of yeah talking about mental health looking at ways to um break the stigma that's associated with mental illness um also coming up like like you're doing with podcasts meeting other people that are doing creative things that are also bit by bit chipping away and creating hopefully a more empathetic understanding society um and so yeah I never in my I never ever thought that five years on I would still be doing and doing more things related to mental health um yeah in 2017 um yeah, I thought it was just a thing that I needed to do, but never thought it would would go in the direction that it has done in, over the last few years. Yeah, sure. And it sounds like it's been a really busy five years, John, because you've been involved in some incredible 
projects and that's a relatively short space of time really if you think of all the stuff that you've crammed into those five years it's um it's been busy right it it has but it's you know we we it's 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 interesting isn't it when you kind of i think i'm quite quick and i think probably you know listen to some other people that have been on on your podcast you know and you know sometimes we forget our achievements and sometimes you you kind of there's so much stress and anxiety doing anything um that that's putting yourself out there or organizing an event or whatever it is that i'm i'm quite bad at kind of self-promotion and then also once it's done i'm like going thank goodness that wasn't a failure and then i just move on and um i'm i'm i like collaborating i like people when they've got an idea and jumping in and getting involved um but yeah as i say that kind of five year this kind of five year point is a bit of a reflection um that i'm doing kind of looking back and going oh yeah you know what that that was really cool that we did that when we did that we really thought we were being it felt a bit odd but oh look now look at lots of other people doing something and i think that can be quite difficult especially when something's so stigmatized um there's not a lot of people initially clapping you or cheering you to do it right there's not like this like massive posse of people say yeah john that's a great idea yeah put on that event talking about you know addiction or you know anxiety or something that's going to be a right laugh isn't it you know it's just like said nobody um but but yeah you you realize that and i think that's what's what keeps me I guess in the game kind of excited every morning or most mornings um to do things around mental health is there's still so much to be done there's lots and lots of opportunity and there's lots lots of ways of being able to create spaces and opportunities for us to kind of question and reflect on how things have been done learn from from things that have worked and also um hopefully stop certain practices or, or certain behaviors that are and not healthy yeah sure i suppose if it was easy and you could put an event on and loads of people would turn up well there wouldn't be a need for it right and we could all just stop <laughs> so i suppose that it just shows that it's like a, a worthy cause and it's worth doing if, if it is challenging to put these things on but i love the idea of um kind of drawing that line in the sand and looking back to reflect on things you know because we do learn from the things we got right and the things we got wrong but also to give ourselves a little pat on the back i think that's really really important because it's easy to sort of when you have i think from my own perspective i suppose if i when i'm part of like the wider conversation it's very easy for me to just not think about what i've done or what i've achieved and it's just on to the next especially when there's a lot of work to do right because there's still a lot of work to do so it's always right i've done this that's great right what we're going to do next what we're going to do next and yeah you miss that opportunity to say do you know what like i'm pretty damn proud of myself and a lot of people who are experiencing mental ill health, a big part of that is not feeling very good about themselves, right? And that negative self-talk and that self, uh, negative voice in your head. So to be able to say, hang on a minute, I've done that. And that was bloody good. And I'm chuffed a bit. That's mm. like a powerful thing. Completely, completely. And um, I think that that's what, you know, early on, I was meeting other people that were doing in quite isolation, mainly through social media. I'd, I'd, start to follow certain people and just be blown away by what what they're doing and you know you you always look at certain kind of vanity metrics like oh, look, oh well they've got like 30 40 000 followers on twitter or this or that but actually there was so many people that you know whether it's 
somebody selling t-shirts that's raising some money for young minds or um what i was really joined to is yeah individuals that were just doing their thing um and yeah being a bit of a stalker initially of like wow that's really cool that they're doing that um and then i got to meet some of these people and then you yeah, you realized that there was no team behind them um it was very much them um them doing it and i think yeah i think um i think if other people could see the impact you can make as an individual yeah even even if you're struggling sometimes with your mental health you you can still contribute to society you can still impact you can still bring about change um you can still bring joy to others and by doing that um that that kind of hopefully gives a bit more meaning to what what you're doing um and you know there's so many people out there including yourself that are doing podcasts or events or writing blogs um that, that, that that's really 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 helping you know um um especially where you know if you're suffering from a you know long-term or you know difficult mental health illness that 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 kind of help we know is is hard to find um through the nhs um through through other services so that you know there's a massive community of people out there that that are helping to kind of fill that 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 need and that gap yeah very much so and it's almost like when you kind of start to discover that community for the first time like there's so many incredible things out there and i think why is this not commonplace like when i was poorly i didn't know any of this existed all the the advocates that inspire me didn't know who they were never heard of them i hadn't read the books i haven't seen the blogs i hadn't none of it existed in my world and now every single day i think something pops up on my instagram and i think like oh my gosh how do more people not know about what is happening with this amazing organization or this person or this um it's incredible really what is actually out there people are you know grassroots level making changes and and helping other people yeah and i think it's it is those um you know you're not going to proactively look for mental health related stuff right if you're not either impacted yourself personally or somebody in your family or friend you're concerned about and i get that it's the same as sadly if you get a cancer diagnosis or something you you know you do go from zero to a hundred on trying to find information I completely get that and that's exactly the same with mental health but i do think within society those kind of gatekeepers those people that you do go to where or places where people could signpost better so for example going to your gp or yeah getting getting other help maybe your college or your student um i think still is the case that a lot of the time is oh, well, you know, talk to a counsellor or, you know, phone the Samaritans or, you know, it's it's very general. Um, but actually, those people that, that are those gatekeepers should be so much better at being able to signpost this and say, right, Tom, okay, yeah, you've, yeah, we need to get you some proper help. Maybe you need some time off work. But, you know, check out these people or read these books or have a listen to this podcast and more on the, the roots of what's happening with social prescribing um, that, you know, starting to be taken more seriously now. But that four or five years ago, when you said social prescribing to whether a GP or somebody, you know, like, well, tell somebody to go and 
sign up for a do park run, you know, and you know, even that was seen was quite ridiculous. And um, so, yeah, I think um, that's a key thing for me is that, as you say, there's a lot of help, there's a lot of hope out there. And, and um, you know, I was listening to your last podcast with Juliet Burton, um, and Juliet's a, a, a good friend of mine, and um, yeah, listened with interest about her thoughts on on hope. Um, and I guess, I guess what I get from what she was saying in her podcast is that there's no point just having hope. We, you need to be able to follow through and show um, action and places where hope has actually brought about change and, and support for others. Yeah, definitely. I suppose it's about moving moving forward. That chat with Juliet gave me so much to think about. I'm still, pro- yeah. <laughs> still processing it now. Like we rolled so deep. It was amazing. She's wonderful. Um, but um, yeah, I kind of like, I mean, the social prescribing thing, I always think of that. It's a bit like the old, like a Kentucky Fried Mouse, you know, like we all, like if someone mentions it, everyone knows someone who knows someone who knows someone who's been able to do it. But no one's, I've never actually chatted to someone who's been prescribed it, you know, but it is slowly... Um, slowly filtering through but yeah i suppose the conversation around awareness we must be getting to a point where people are genuinely aware but yeah now what you know and that's kind of yeah what juliet was alluding to and i spoke to the guys from talk club recently and they were saying they don't talk about awareness now they talk about mental health action you know that's the next the next step and yeah the first step is that signposting like you like you say just letting people know what's out there and i suppose that's the tricky bit isn't it um something i talk a lot is the mental health echo chamber you know, I know I can put something up on social media and I'll get loads of likes and people will share it, but it's just being liked and shared by loads of people who already know about it. You know, like how do we get to the people? How do we reach the people who don't know this stuff? You know, that's the, that's the tricky conundrum, isn't it? It is. It is. And um, yeah, I, I, I dabble a b- little bit with social media and I guess a good example. Um, so I live in, in London in um, Wolf and Forest. And so social prescribing has now been, you know, there, there is, you know, if you um, have postnatal depression, you would, there are groups and stuff and social prescribing is slowly starting to be embedded here in Wolfham Forest. Um, and yeah, your question about kind of um, the echo chamber is one thing that was really useful um, this week. Um, I'm, I'm on a Facebook group that literally is everybody moaning in Wolfhamstow about helicopters flying over or the fact they've got a parking ticket because we don't like cars here um but somebody had put a post in there saying about a friend of theirs a male friend of theirs that was unsure about getting um therapy and like how do they talk about that so here you are here's a group that's generally ranting about anything but mental health and I just said oh you know you talk about Ben and um, the talk club and all this and I put in a few links and I think it's sometimes finding those p- places and I got some great messages back and you know I was able to share a, a few more few more in that group um, and they've had Jake on as well with Hub of Hope and all of this but like the response within that group was like oh wow we never knew any of that and I think that was quite <clears throat> interesting that the obviously somebody had to post in that group about about it about an, a need but it I did feel oh well, at least today I've got some this information out to people that probably had never heard of at least two or three of those um 
um, kind of services. So I think that's what we can try and do. It's trying to, yeah, if you feel the confidence to to write in a local newspaper, to 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 do podcasts, to do do things in spaces where people don't expect um, to be talking about mental health is, is is really what we've got to now kind of move into that space and get out of this kind of echo chamber. But it's quite a nice. Like, like that's what I quite like about it it's quite a nice I found so many amazing inspiring people in this kind of chamber um but yeah we, we need we need to break free from it as well yeah definitely no it's a nice space to um you know I quite enjoy Instagram I know social media and Insta in particular gets quite a bad rep but I quite like it I'm quite comfortable um you know because of the mental health community it's a really positive space for me you know every time I go on I get kind of uplifted inspired maybe I learn something get a new book recommendation like it's it's pretty pretty sick but I love what you were saying there about um doing things on a local level because I think often that can get forgotten about in the conversation so we're all trying to change the world and sometimes like I'm guilty of this is like I think too big you know and it's like well hang on a minute what about like you know someone down the road what about someone around the corner what about people close to me it's not always about social media and you know the you know writing a book or something that's going to affect millions of people sometimes just affecting like the people closest to you is the best way to go right yeah, definitely. And I felt like the biggest fraud ever when it came to mental health um, five years ago. Um, I didn't like <clears throat> I had my challenges with my mental health like 20 years ago. So um, it's kind of brief kind of <laughs> synopsis is that um, I, I sadly lost my dad to suicide when I was 17. And we as a family didn't get any any support for that um from counseling or, or whatever we you know as I've got two older brothers and we just did the best we could to kind of bury those emotions and <clears throat> that that came back to bite um in 1999 um when I started my first job in London and I ended up having a psychotic episode a breakdown um it was a very very difficult year um but it was a year that I was finally able to you know, get back on my feet very slowly, get a job and not talk or tell anybody that I, that new friends that I made since then um, about my mental illness. They obviously didn't know about my dad um, because of that, that kind of shame and stigma. So I'd, I'd, you know, and I'd learnt what helps me stay mentally okay. And, um, that that had done me well. Okay, I went for a really, really difficult time, really, really bad. Never ever want to go there again. But I've learned I learned some coping mechanisms of of how I hopefully don't find myself in that spot again. Um, but as I said, it was the stigma that kind of stopped me. So it was yeah, five years ago, um, coming up to kind of around nowish actually, um, that I got involved in a campaign called Heads Together. And for, for those of listeners that can remember, this was a real pivotal moment in mental health because the charity sector, um, doesn't matter if it's mental health or the charity sector historically, I feel hasn't been very good at collaborating. And, um, you know, they've all got, you've all got your patch, right? So when you set up your charity, right, these are the people we're going to go for. And it's very, very prescriptive. And you've got to kind of almost stick to that for your funding and everything. And head together, right? kind of did an awareness campaign set up by the royals, um, by the young royals, um, they were referred to as William, Harry and Kate. And 
they got different eight different mental health charities together to say, look, the stigma is still so big when it comes to to mental illness. How can we work together to kind of break that stigma? And they they came together these these different mental health charities. And I don't think they'd you know they would obviously maybe bump into each other you know, through different events. But I don't think they'd ever work so closely together on, on a campaign. And <clears throat> I decided, um, I came aware of the campaign um, because very sadly, um, in 2016, my good friend John, um, his sister, who had also been a very good friend of mine, very sadly died of, of postnatal, um, due to postnatal depression. She took, she took her life in, in 2016. And that was that was like the punch in the stomach. That was the scream, the yell, the anger of like, how has somebody that I know in 2016 not been able to get the help they need um, at their moment of crisis? And that that really, really upset me. And it came at a time in my life where I just thought, I don't care if people know that I've had a mental illness. I don't care what people think. We can't have a society where somebody who going through mental distress hasn't been able to get the right help and for them at that moment in time that seemed like the right thing to do and having been in those shoes and luckily got through it um made me want to do something and that's where I came fell on the heads together campaign and it was kind of I guess the pivotal tentpole event for or one of them for the heads together campaign was the London Marathon and so I was able to get a place running the London Marathon with my friend and um, for my friend John as well. Um, he said he 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 wanted to run in, in memory of his sister as well. So the two of us um, went on our kind of, you know, it was it was it was good um, to to train for the for the marathon. It was wasn't wasn't easy, but it was also very quite cathartic. I think for for definitely for for John and also for myself because um, we had something that we could focus our energy on um but I ended up you know doing a very my first time I shared my story was very public I did it with the Royals I did it with Rio Ferdinand um there was media in the audience um I did a live ITV lunchtime news I did a pre-record for Channel 5 then I had to leg it home to get my kids from from nursery um who then complained I didn't bring any snacks with them um, and you, it was this most surreal kind of coming out about my mental illness to so many people that didn't know that I'd been ill. They, some people that thought, oh, currently, oh, is John ill? You know, I was getting messages of concern sent to me. And because of the, the, the immediate kind of the, the, the period of being asked to do the talk to actually happening was a very short period of time. So it was again writing out my story for the first time i'd never put pen to paper it was very again it was very cathartic kind of looking back wow that was actually super tough like yeah as you say kind of being proud or these things that we don't ever like to really do say of ourselves or something i was like going ah oh. you know i almost read it like a mate had written it going geez that was that was probably pretty tough like yeah well done for getting through that um I felt a real fraud that here was I talking about mental health and I was mentally okay right and the challenge that 
I struggled with in that first year was, all oh, right, uh, John, can you do this Sky News interview? Okay, right, okay. I'll bumble along and try and do this. And I got some very high profile, very early on um, opportunities um, and some really, you know, bizarre things as well, like running a relay race with Paula Radcliffe in my team and all these really like crazy, crazy things. But I felt like a fraud because within the mental health space, I hadn't needed to access services in years. And so in a long-winded way of kind of answering your question, kind of getting involved in local things felt like it was around kind of 2018 that was like, yeah, actually, what is the reality on the ground? You know, what is the service provision like? Um, I remember going to my nursery that my kids went to and talking to them about what provision that they had in there for mums and postnatal um, maternity groups and all of this and was able to you know do some things with them and I think that that is almost the the reality pill if you know away from social media and likes and retweets and people releasing books and doing all those amazing things is when you see it on the ground and you see people and you can get to meet other people that are really struggling especially during the last couple of years there's been um, a hearing voices group here in Wolfham Forest that's been going over a decade probably longer and they it was all about meeting up in person um, for that group and then they were told right you can't meet up in person you've got to stay at home and a, a lot of these people that attend these groups they didn't have computers they didn't have a fast broadband connection at home and that that's it's, it's it's really by getting involved locally that then you really see the issues on the ground that that are affecting people and then hopefully you can use that knowledge to bring it to the wider attention of others um but yeah i think we we all need to sometimes break out of that online bubble um to to yeah find the reality of, of what's what's happening around you yeah, definitely. And I, I think a lot of people who are doing things on a bigger scale, a lot of them started off with, you know, like groups with one person turning up or, you know, so it's, it, we often as well, like look at the look at the end result and we'll say, oh, look at this amazing charity. They've got, you know, 50 groups up and down the UK and no one talks about the six months where they had one group and no one showed up. <laughs> no one I, talks about that, right? Yeah, completely. And we, we just see, yeah, we all look at success, right? We just see the end product. And um, yeah, and, yeah, and not the work that goes in behind that. And yeah, the dark days, you know, you know, you know where, where yeah, nobody turns up. It's lots of people that are, you know, whether it's run, talk, run or run for running or these different running communities that um, have really sprung up over the years supporting people's mental health. And, you know, sometimes you do follow the the when then a new meetup or something gets set up and it's just like usually a picture of the person going oh well nobody turned up tonight but I still got a good run in and I think like well I just think wow you're awesome right <laughs> you just like even though nobody turned up you're still you know you're still doing it and yeah and the story generally goes yeah the next week one person turns up and then a couple and then a few more in it but it takes time but I think to make one thing with, that was really apparent over the last few years was that if you haven't got a cheerleader, if you haven't got somebody that's got your back 
or you haven't got that support mechanism, you are likely to give up. You are likely to think negatively of yourself. The fact that, oh, I've set up this running group in my local area and nobody's turned up. And rather than thinking, oh, you know, isn't it difficult to get your message out because the way algorithms work and all of this, I think a lot of the time, and I know this of myself, I would look in on myself going, oh, well, John, you didn't do a good enough job. You should have, you know, the reason nobody's turned up is because I was a bit of a crap idea or, you know, and I think it's, there's so much need for creating kind of support there for others that are, are trying to bring about change because it's not, it's not straightforward. Yeah, definitely. And never, uh, I think it's important never to underestimate how hard it is for people to turn up at these things, particularly if they, if they, if they need it right. And um, it's very easy to, to say, oh, you know, oh, just come come along and talk. But crikey, if you're not in the right place to come along and talk, there is nothing harder in the whole world than walking through that door. And um, that plays a big part. And I think realizing how tricky it is for people to, to turn up as well, then, you know, yeah, just kind of creating the creating the space to make it as easy as possible for people to do the hardest thing. I think that's the key. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, um, and, and sitting around, you know, so talk club or, you know, man gang, these, these, these other um, groups that, that exist um, again, brilliant for certain types of men and then certain types of men will be more confident maybe to walk through that door, but also, some some will never want to walk through that never will and then so it's like right okay well how do we engage with this group of people is it through music um is it through art is it through i don't know whatever you know and i think um yeah it's 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 been aware of of of, of that as well and you know the, one the couple of the couple of things that i've been involved in over the last few years is is the speakers collective which um you know the amazing Johnny Benjamin, um, who was a real, you know, one of the early voices that I came across in the mental health space. Um, that that gave me the encouragement to kind of speak out. Um, got a small group of us together um, to say, look, how could we create a community to support each other? And so I've become a a director of the Speakers Collective, and that we've now got yeah hundred members of. Um, people that are sharing their lived experience, not just mental health, but we're trying to create a space that supports each other, an opportunity to collaborate, put on our own. Um, so, um, yeah, well, are you still there? Sorry. Yeah, still there. My, yeah. my headphone um, just fell out there. Let me just, just check that. Um, so we, we put on our own um, conference as well, um, which we were really pleased that last year we were able to do that in Birmingham in real life um, called the Hope Conference. And the other some other events that I've been doing, um, it's also called What's Going On In Your Head, where we would do um, put on an evening and we'll pick a subject, whether something connected with mental health, but we wouldn't call it a mental health event. Um, and it was very much, uh, is very much arts and performance led, where we gives us the flexibility to explore quite challenging subjects, but it's led with poetry, music, uh, and a bit of discussion and, and performance. And that that has also been a really good way of reaching other people um, and getting a better understanding. Um, where you feel like there's less pressure on you maybe 
to um, turn up um, and and participate if you if you if you don't feel in the right kind of space to do that. And I know that when I was very ill, I got literally given a, a really badly printed or photocopied leaflet. Don't know even where it came from. I don't know when it may have been given to me just as I left hospital after being sectioned. And it was this group that met up in a local community hall. Um, but it was just, it was just, it was almost just like the random people of society. And there was like, there was like plastic cups with like some very weak orange squash and maybe a cup of tea. But that was it, you know, it was just like, I, I didn't feel like I belonged there. I kind of walked through the door very nervously and don't know how long I stayed there, but it, you know, it was never going to go back. And yeah, we just got to create those spaces and places for us all to, to feel safe and comfortable um, to, to, to listen and also maybe in, in, in engage yeah i love that idea of doing it through the arts doing it through creativity and not making a thing about the you know the terminology right it's almost like a trojan horse you know um well i heard an expression the other day i can't remember who i was talking to and they said health by stealth and i thought oh i like that mm. you know like kind of sneaking it in but if you're in an, an audience and you're surrounded by people that essentially that look a bit like you or have a similar, you know, creative way of looking at the world, then you're much more likely to feel comfortable to feel part of something. And then it makes it much easier to, to get what you need from it, whether that's talking or listening or writing or whatever. But yeah, it's to, to look around a room and kind of see, see your people, essentially. I think that makes a, a big difference. Yeah, like role models is so important. Seeing somebody that you can relate to is massive, right? Uh, breaking stigma, getting a person on side. Um, yeah, is, I'd say, is, and that's why people with lived experience, the power, if you're coming from a place where you're feeling stable enough to do it, that's why having lived experience of, of something that you can impart that knowledge and that experience of to others, um, it has this amazing ripple effect um, that you will never really know, you will never really grasp what that does. But once you do connect with that one person um, in a talk or something, you, you shift the dial slightly. Um, and yeah, like the kind of health by stealth is really good. At the moment, my kids are just um, coming back with like, eat them to defeat them stickers. And there's obviously a big campaign to get them to, to eat vegetables. And, um, but it's working, right? <laughs> it's just yeah. like, it's a really playful, exciting, you know, they've got kind of like comics and all of this, but fundamentally it's like, eat your broccoli, you know, eat your carrots. Um, and but yeah health messages have been really dull or you know just yeah let's let's try and think how we can engage people to in a fun way and not treat mental illness as something that we're always like stepping on eggshells around you know yeah very much so yeah you mentioned before john the decision you made to start sharing your own story and i was just wondering i suppose this is a two-part question really but like initially your reluctance to talk about it you know, what were you, what were you worried about? And then the second part of that question is, um, you know, how did people respond when you first started talking? Yeah, my work, there's a lot of worry, isn't there? Um, so, so my worry, you know, when I, you know, in air quotes, got better, you know, and better for me was not in a hospital was not, um, unable to get out of bed um better was having some sort of 
you know, routine. Um, it was that shame. It was that um, worry what other people would think that, oh, here's, if I was to say to somebody or they knew that I'd been sectioned, that I'd been in a mental health hospital, um, maybe they'd be nervous around me, maybe, you know, maybe from a, a work point of view, um, they would think, oh, better not give that to John. He may get a bit too stressed out or, you know, there was so many, you know, right through to relationships, you know, if, you know, what happens, you know, if I have a girlfriend or partner or wife and they think, oh, you know, they may think, oh, you may pass on mental illness to our kids or all these other things. And um, there was just no reason, there was no positive to tell anybody about it. I couldn't see any positive why I would want to let anybody know that I had had a mental illness. Um, and I think also, as I say, I mentioned Johnny Benjamin. There was a few people along the way in those years that I did like certain documentaries that were on TV. Stephen Fry has been like banging the drum for forever about mental health. So is Ruby Wax. There was a few people, a few guys like, Johnny and Professor Green and um and I would watch those shows and again think they're awesome that's really amazing they're doing that but it was never something I I would ever feel comfortable um the job that I do is you know I run my own company um an agency and I like being I like running it but I like being in the background I don't like being on stage. I don't like, like, this is not me doing this podcast is not my comfort zone. It's not what I, you know, planned or, or historically have liked doing because I've always thought there's somebody better that could be out there doing that. And that's why running an agency, you're always trying to find the best people for the job to do amazing stuff. And I can just be quietly in the background and that, and that, that's why I think um, that's what had stopped me probably yeah 10 years on or so from starting to potentially feel that I was confident to talk about it um but not and also family also plays a big part in it as well so obviously I had not only had my own mental illness my dad had also had depression and, and taken his life and I was also very mindful of if I did do any kind of talking about my mental illness and how mental health has impacted me and my family that am I putting my my mum and my brothers in awkward situation and um as I said that opportunity to speak um I was asked I was given very short notice when I in 2017 when I said yes I didn't I wasn't aware initially of how big that was going to be, that event. Um, but fundamentally, um, deep down, I knew I was doing the right thing. If I felt strong enough to do it, um, but I, and also I was aware of the impact, especially, especially on the day, I was like, okay, right, this is, this is a game changer here. Things will never be the same after today. Um, and, but, but ripples of, you know, especially from, from friends and work colleagues, it was, was some really good messages, um, 
of like well done and still to this day I get some some lovely messages from friends and and people I know family's always I think going to be a difficult area when it comes to sharing things about your mental health um but that again I would just always stress it's just just be very mindful of if you do want to share your own story or your own lived experience that you only do what you feel comfortable with and don't feel under any pressure to share anything um just because somebody else is just you know I think just even in 2022 putting your hand up and saying I've had mental health problems with my mental health is still massive you don't need to say any more than that and you'll be amazed how many other people will then say well actually I've had this problem too and so you don't need to do the john salmon like <laughs> put it all out there um type of thing but the reaction has been incredibly positive sharing my story um it's opened up so many more opportunities to do and meet interesting people including yourself and so i don't regret it for a minute but i've learned a lot from it and i guess it's that learning that i'm hopefully trying to pass on to other people who who want to bring about change but also making sure that they're putting their themselves first um before the demands of a charity or who 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 some other external force that may be putting on a pressure to that person to share their story yeah definitely i think it's quite common isn't it to ask people to talk but not tell them how hard it is <laughs> to talk you know <laughs> yeah but um the, the reason i asked is because this whole sort of thing around stigma in mental health I, the more I, I kind of, I used to think I understood what that meant. And the more people I speak to and the more I kind of dig into it, the murkier this idea of stigma gets, you know? And I think everyone's reasons for not speaking up or not asking for help or keeping them things to themselves are, they're so individual. And I think we can learn a lot from talking about those reasons, particularly with men's mental health. Like for me, it was always like, um, people would say men don't talk because they don't want to be seen as weak and they don't want to be, you know, all this, all this sort of stuff. And I never like, I never worried about being less of a man. Like I'm quite a feminine guy. You know, I don't do like pints and football and birds. I don't do all that. So I used to think they're not talking about me. There must be something more wrong with me, you know? And, and I know people out there get told to man up. No one ever told me to man up. You know, and like, the, it, so I couldn't relate to that conversation, which was the main conversation around men's mental health, because I felt I didn't fit the stereotype of a, of a man's man. So I think, just think it's really interesting to dig into a little bit why people don't speak, because a lot of people, if you ask them, why don't you speak? They don't even know. They know they can't, but they can't quite put it into words. And I think I would have been like that. You know, I think I would have been like, I don't, I definitely can't. I definitely can't tell anyone. But I don't know why I can't, but I definitely can. You know, it's like it's really it's murky waters, right? It is. It's yeah. It's it's fascinating. Um, just trying to 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 explore it because we're all, you know, every every single one of us on this planet is individual, right? We we all are. There's no other Tom Davies out there, you know. They, they, we all are unique, and you know, we can try and put people into groups and that's an easy way to try and when you're putting campaigns together or you know there's it's, it's lazy isn't it where we segment people but by trying to put segment into different groups we we're at least with a message trying to to reach a certain person and yeah again i think you know the campaigns that have the biggest budget um from charities that want to push a certain narrative 
they push a certain narrative aimed at a particular group of people and there's always going to be the yeah the opposite there's always going to be a group that say well i've got that illness but that's not me um you know see you know um joe who i as a fellow director of the um speakers collective um she won't mind me saying that is, is diagnosed with with parkinson's and had seen especially early on in kind of her when she got that diagnosis some of the kind of campaign and the, the messaging and the language that was being used and was like that's not me and again right back to my earlier point it's it's those those people whether it is somebody on social media or whether it is your doctor or whether it is somebody at university that can start to signpost you or point you in a direction of where you can hear those voices or messages that do fit to to tom that that do resonate to you that um yeah it's but it all plays i, I guess i'm very pragmatic is that i'm you know generally speaking everything that's doing its bit to chip away to get our society to be a better place to live for us all um is a good thing it's just a shame sometimes some some of the campaigns and some of the language that is used within the media is is quite divisive or it's quite you know it's to kind of get headlines um yeah man up's a good example or you know talk about being a woke society or whatever it is um um it's yeah it's, it's never going to stop it's always going to be evolving how how best to communicate to different groups yeah, I suppose really with the mental health conversation in particular, it's sped up so much in the last few years. We're still all learning, right? We're learning on the job. We're learning what terminology works better and we're learning how to reach people and connect people. And that's always going to be um, always going to be an, an ongoing process. And I suppose it's just about, again, it goes back to that signposting, doesn't it? Because there are all these amazing, there is something for pretty much everyone out there in some capacity. It's just, uh, you know, helping people to find out about the thing that suits that suits them that's going to um that's going to make the difference yeah definitely completely and some some people are very good at being like i i, I see myself more as like kind of soft power you know somebody in the background who you know if, if this somebody's pushing a certain narrative who you know that maybe i slightly like all have issue with i think sometimes there's especially in social media that people can pile on and sometimes try to like shut that voice down or argue and cre create this. And I think, yeah, sometimes it's just, I would always like prefer to DM them directly or, you know, there's sometimes progress can be limited at the moment. I feel where people are coming from a good place, trying to do things, or even if it is a bit ill judged, um, that rather than, jumping on that person completely think of other ways that you could go about of informing them and educating them rather than using social media to to pile on and 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 blame so i think and that again you know social media for me has generally been a very good supportive place but also i've seen people that have been trying to maybe a bit ill-informed about how they're going about trying to get their change change across but then have got actually they've walked away um, because they they felt that yeah that they've had some negativity from it yeah definitely i mean i think every human being 
in the world at some point has probably say something that they could have phrased better or yeah. maybe needed to do a bit more research and just some people are unlucky enough to have said that on massive platforms whereas yeah. i probably would just say it to my wife in the kitchen and, <laughs> and get away with it you know but the i suppose with the stigma conversation the reason i did that as a two-part question as well is because i suppose whatever people's reasons are individual reasons for not speaking up usually those things don't come true you know, like it, yeah. that it tends to be that the speaking up, whatever you think is going to happen, doesn't really happen. And, you know, quite often something really good happens. Yeah, I think it's all about being confident that you're ready to do that in whatever means. You know, I noticed you did a post yesterday about, um, I hope you don't mind me mentioning, but I guess I saw it on social media about medication and um, and taking medication. You know, like, I'm sure you you put a lot of thought into that. Um, before doing that post and and what the impact was going to be on it and I'm I'm sure before you hit send there was a moment of like oh, is this the right thing to do but you took that call and then you, as you say you see the response that comes back and you're like all oh, right yeah why did I overthink this thing so much and yeah I it was like a literally I've said it a million times before like opening up and talking about how I felt and what I went through took a massive weight off my shoulders. And so that was a really, real benefit. I felt more me um, by doing that. And it's I know it's helped other people since then. Um, so, yeah, I have no regrets uh, whatsoever in, in what I did five years ago. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's a lovely thing, mate. A lovely thing for sure. And something else, just jump intact completely. But um, I wanted to. We've got to have a chat about running, mate, because that's mm. something that's played a huge part in your in your life, you know, for some time. And um, is that a an important sort of self care tool for you, John? To um, you know, to to run and to get out there and. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, when when I yeah when I had been ill, the you know walking to the shops where you know still feeling incredibly paranoid worried just just yeah not myself the thought of doing any kind of running would have was ridiculous and you know again I think what's nice about running is that you can measure over again over a period of time progress and that's not necessarily about going a certain speed or a certain distance but you feel it in yourself that the first time you ever go for any kind of run or for me you know um if I haven't been running for for a month or two that first run uh you know even before I got to the bottom of the road I'm sweating I'm like oh I'm already deciding to, whether I'm going to turn around and you know slide not bother I'll go I'll go one further street but running something about running for me anyway um has given me that headspace to I can't really be on my phone while running I have tried um but generally speaking oh it's just me and my trainers going for a run going for a bit of explore sometimes I have a route sometimes I'll just see see where I go and especially at moments in my life where I've been involved in different project or work or other stressful situations maybe I've had a bad night's sleep running gives me that clarity of it just does something to my head that when I get back, get myself a glass of water, sit sit at home after that run, A, I always feel better for doing it. And B, those problems, those big problems that have been rattling around my head, 
which aren't big problems. They're just things that I've just been putting off or whatever. I've usually got some sort of solution for it. Like, ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I need to talk to Tom about that or I need to do this. And I think, again, so much of running is like marketed as like the men's health kind of fitness and distance and blah and blah. And got, but it's, it's just about getting out there. It's, for me, I just plod along. And over the years, I've, you know, I, I set myself the challenge to do a 5K. In, in London, there used to be that this crisis um, for charity called Crisis Run, which I think was a 5K run around the streets of London. That was a big thing for me doing that 5K. Um, you got a banana at the end of it, so result and um, and, and a medal. And um, and I've gone on to do, yeah, as you say, kind of marathons. I've done a Race of the Stones 100K thing over two days. And I, but I, and so some people are like, oh, John, you're always running. But I, I, if I get to run once a week, I'm doing well. If I'm doing it twice a week, well, that's that's more than enough. And I think, again, running is one of those things that people just, there's a barrier to it. Because run is, just the word run implies speed and like distance and all of this. Um, but it is movement. It's just getting outside. Then it's it could be just a, a brisk walk, really. And I say a lot of the the running I do, <laughs> there's people faster walking past me probably. Um, but it's it's the mental thing of going out, doing something for yourself. Um, for me, and I know for so many other people, it's it's been a real part of my recovery. And yeah, one of the things in my toolkit that I go to um is is running the other one's bed bed's always a good place when it gets all a bit too crazy but um generally yeah going for a run um is a good good place to do and john and i will be um excitingly running the new york marathon um in november this year so we're kind of john now lives in the us so we're kind of meeting up again five years on and we're raising money for the samaritans um so you can check out john and john dot run and uh have a, have a look at um well we haven't really even started training yet but i think i was i, I saw from our counter that we put on our website that it's like 200 days to go so not only have we got a fundraise book plane tickets and um do some training because i'm definitely not match fit after um the last couple of years oh mate suddenly getting very uh very real is it suddenly uh creeping up on you this marathon uh, <laughs> oh mate no and you mentioned bed there john is that um that's um that's something i definitely agree with that's a go-to for me even though like i'm a big napper i put naps in my diary that's how dedicated i am to, that's um, really good to, to little to little catch-ups but is that like a safe space for you john is it to just kind of you know yeah yeah it really is and you know i haven't had to obviously i go to bed every night um but i've not had to use it a lot but there was the early parts of the pandemic, even before we even went into lockdown, where I was kind of stressing out about everything, like so many people. Um, there's just there's just been moments over the last 10, 20 years where it's actually like, I know, and it, you feel really guilty for doing it, um, especially if you've got a family and young kids. And it's only happened a few times, but it's just like, actually, you know what? I'm feeling incredibly anxious. I'm feeling I'm not I'm not in a good place. I just need to be in my bed and just 
spend as long as it takes here. And because the world keeps on spinning, um, meetings that you had can be rearranged. Um, and that that importance of looking after yourself is so, so important. Um, yeah, so just don't be frightened. I love the fact that you put it in your, I haven't, I haven't gone to that level of putting it in, um, in my in my diary but um yeah that's you know it's talked about isn't it self-care looking after yourself putting yourself first you can't help others if you can't help yourself and sleep and rest is such an important part of looking after yourself yeah it's huge modern life kind of robs that from us doesn't it it's just go 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 and if you want like i kind of i i have an 80 percent rule and i live my life at 80 percent and I don't take on anything that's going to push me past 80%. And I just plod. I'm a plodder. I'm the mm. definition of that. I don't take on things that makes my life busy. And, um, you know, I'm very lucky in some ways to be able to do that, but I also sacrifice a lot of things to be able to do that. But that just means when something happens, I can absorb an extra 20% if I need to. This space mm. for, because for, life's going to go wrong. Like, like that's, just a, that's just a thing. And I'm someone who has to deal with life going wrong with the other stuff in my head that I've got to deal with, right? There's not always room for all of that. So, you know, that's kind of my, my process. But for a long time, I put everyone else in my life ahead of me because I wanted to be the best for them. And then as soon as I learned to put me first, well, it turns out I was better at looking all looking after all the other people. And I was a better husband, a better dad, a better at my work, better at all these things. Once I put me first, when I tried my hardest to be the best for everyone else and not me, it didn't work out very well at all, you know? So that guilt is, is real. And I think that's the, the biggest... Um, the biggest sort of, I don't know, thing in the way, isn't it, to people like looking after themselves is that you, this, we feel this need to be doing more all the time. But yeah, having that that safe space to retreat to, um, yeah, makes a huge difference. Huge yeah, difference. and you can achieve a lot more by doing less. It seems like such, yeah, my, yeah, it, you know, historically, I, I used to make sure I never had a, a second spare in my diary. Um, I like to keep busy. Um, but yeah, it, it, to what cost? Um, yeah, yeah, and because yeah, once it starts impacting your own health, it's going to impact the other people around you as well. That's it, mate. That's it. You mentioned the marathon there, John. Have you got anything else coming up? Anything else on the on the cards? Um, what have we got? So running wise, I've just got to I've just got to start He's running. Do some. <laughs> um, yeah, and so yeah, I got I got COVID like um, probably about. Two, two months ago and i'm adding it to my list of excuses that uh yeah going for a run i'm i'm it's it's definitely i've definitely found it harder i don't know if that's just age but um i'm i'm using a bit of a covid excuse at the moment so um yeah i, I i'm i'm trying to look at other ways of keeping fit as well because as i say the last couple of runs that i've been doing which is a bit annoying i've just been getting really bad um headaches after them so anyway hopefully that's just a temporary thing so more running um i'm doing the big half um in a few months so that really put my body to the test doing a half marathon um yeah things and just trying to get you know as things open up um doing more 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 in-person events so what's going on in your head um check that out what's going on your head.org we've been putting on a number of different events we're planning to do something quite big in a few months um, I mentioned the Hope Conference in November as well. So I've got to get back from New York to, to Birmingham, hopefully uh, survive, survived running the marathon to do the 
um, conference for the Speakers Collective and with Jake Mills as well with um, Chasing the Stigma. Um, we've got that on the 11th of November. And I'm, I'll catch up with you maybe that, I'm, that an idea is brewing um, for World Mental Health Day in October um, to do with a music track. Um, so that's that's like an idea brewing, but always yeah, there's always a few little silly ideas um, yeah. that are kind of floating around. Um, but that's it. I think everybody, you know, this year I've just decided this year is really is just trying to not put too much on me to feel like I can get back to where I was before the pandemic and yeah, reassess about yeah the frequency of what kind of work I'm doing um again similarly you know to yourself I guess I'm in a fortunate position that that I have got that opportunity where I can be a bit more ruthless with what I say yes or no to um so but yeah just trying to you know I think do things like this more podcasts chatting to interesting people um yeah I'm really just trying to collaborate and bring about positive change about areas in society that have been um, stigmatized. One one of the things that was wonderful in um, lockdown um, was I became a trustee of a charity called Let's Talk About Loss. And this was set up by a person called Beth and she lost her mum to cancer and she didn't have any support groups to, to, to talk about um, the bereavement and the loss of her her mum and so she set up a group called let's talk about loss and this has been going for a number of years now and there's like I think over 80 meetups around the country now and I became a trustee of that young charity so I'm also keen to be doing more work um, with let's talk about loss which is really aimed at kind of younger people age 18 to 35 um, getting them access to support groups if, if, if you've had a significant bereavement so yeah as long as i can get away with just doing cool stuff like that and not have to be stuck doing a nine to five um being told what to do by somebody else so that that's my plan for the rest of this year if i can just work with nice people and um try to do good stuff oh mate it's a plan with a uh, plan with few faults yeah it sounds, you, sounds got you, and yourself tom any um any interesting things in the pipeline do you know what no in a word no more of this um yeah more recording more chatting i i yeah i'm waiting for the right ideas to uh to arrive i did my live show last year and i'm kind of thinking about how i can do something else um something else like that but a little bit bigger and a little bit different and you know i don't want to just do the same type of thing again so yeah, yeah and i'm well, also come, come to birmingham for the hope conference and um do you could do um yeah a live podcast there or yeah just oh, um... yeah well that would be wonderful that would be wonderful yeah well uh we'll have a chat about that now mate yeah but thank you so much for your time today john it was lovely to meet you properly i kind of felt a bit like i knew you if i'm being honest just from like social media and <laughs> stuff like that but it was lovely to just kind of um yeah meet properly and have a chat and i can't thank you enough for your time mate that was wonderful yeah and again tom just absolute epic epic work that you've been doing with the podcast i think i you know i was following the work of uh, my black dog and then came across what you were doing and um it's just been inspiring to to see all the guests and all, what what you've done in such a short period of time um it's just phenomenal and um yeah just 
power to you and oh, um so just yeah it's just say real real privilege and yeah similarly um it's funny isn't it kind of um yeah feel feel like you i know you as well but <laughs> we've never actually spoken until yeah. <laughs> till today it's uh the weird wonderful world of social media mate but thank you for those kind words that's that's lovely and yeah thanks again for coming on cheers mate okay great stuff thank you Please like and subscribe. The Space Stars.